most people are coming in trying to seek a resolution and the court really is the last resort. It's seldom that I have clients that are in it to just get it to the judge and let the judge decide. So I'm finding more and more with family law cases that settling and the client having some control over the outcome is the better way to proceed. My clients are seeing it that way as well. Good morning and welcome to Everyday Law. I am your host, Bob Clark. Today, we have as a special guest, attorney Eleanor Hunt. Welcome to the program, Eleanor. Thank you, Bob, for having me. As always, for our listeners, we are not intending to give you specific legal advice concerning a legal situation that you are confronted with. It is imperative that you marshal the facts and go see an attorney and talk to them about your individual legal situation to act appropriately. In a similar vein, these are not the opinions being expressed today of Howard County Community College, its faculty, staff, employees, or administration. These are the opinions of Ms. Hunt and myself, and hopefully they will be entertaining and informative. And with that caveat, welcome to the program. When did you decide in life that you wanted to be a lawyer? I think I decided a little bit later than normal. I was in college and I actually, I was an English major. I wanted to be a writer. So I had pursued some internships in writing and was working for the Miami Herald the summer. That's cool. uh, Yes, it was absolutely amazing. And I think it was the summer of my junior year that I had the opportunity to have an internship in Miami and I interviewed a judge. And this was the first time I stepped foot in a courthouse, the first time I met a judge. And she had a criminal, a juvenile docket with a lot of troubled teens. And she explained to me all of the programs that she had put in place in order to assist juveniles and help them essentially change their life, change their path. And it was so inspirational to me that it completely changed my trajectory. And I decided I wanted to go to law school. I wanted to explore that further. And while I love to write, I figured I could write as a lawyer or maybe I could write in some other way, maybe become a journalist in the future, but law school seemed to be calling me at that point. That's a fantastic story. Yes, grateful for that opportunity. Did you stay in touch with her and let you know what became of you? I didn't, no, and I probably should. I should reconnect with her and let her know the impact that she had on my life. I mean, that really speaks volumes about, one of the emphases of this show is sort of legal positivism, that it's very easy to have negative views of, you know, you read the Supreme Court, it's going to overturn Roe versus Wade. And Mm -hmm. there's some people who are thrilled with that. And many people are horrified by that. And I think it often leaves a bad taste in the public's mouth concerning what lawyers are up to, you know, they're Michael Avenatti's off with Stormy Daniels and stealing and all this kind of stuff. And my experience in 41 years of being almost 41, next week, 41 years, is that lawyers, for the most part, are incredibly well-intended people who were motivated by, as you are, noble intentions to become lawyers in the first place, and judges are too. And so I'm glad you're reinforcing my stereotype. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) So where'd you go to law school? I went to GW. Okay, in in D.C. And what were your experiences there like? Well, the first year was a struggle. I can't lie to you. It was very difficult for me to jump. I jumped straight from undergrad to law school. Didn't have much of a break in between. And I can't say that I was 
well prepared for the new journey of law school. I understand that phenomenon. Although, yep. Although I was an English major and I did a lot of reading, my undergrad did not have a pre-law program. I gotcha. So <laughs> it was all hands on deck and information overload. But after developing a strong network with my first year class and study groups, I got through it and the second year and the third year were much easier and it was just a tremendous experience and opportunity to make the connections that I did there, to work in the legal clinics there and to really try to hone in on what I wanted to do with my legal career. We've found a lot of people talk about, because we have a lot of University of Maryland, University Baltimore graduates on because they populate the Maryland bar in large measure. And so many times we hear about the legal clinic this and the legal clinic that and clinical life. And I went to the University of North Carolina and it was longer ago than you. And, you know, there was a criminal law clinic that actually has spawned a lot of famous and semi-famous lawyers. But for the most part, that was it. You know, one of the big things at the University of Maryland up in Baltimore is the Consumer Affairs Clinic. There's a guy named Peter Holland, who's an adjunct professor. And we had guests on recently, Chelsea Ortega and Jane Santoni, and they were both One of them was older than the other, and she went and was inspired by his class. And then one day she was talking to this professor, and he said, I have the greatest student I've ever had. You have to hire her. And so they now are partners in this firm that does sort of class actions for tenants who are in substandard housing. And, you know, it's, again, good deed doing in my view. But what clinics were you in, and and how did they affect your outlook on things? I was in Gratian Law Clinic. And in that clinic... It was the first experience I had with working with a client, and it was a tremendous responsibility and an honor, too, to work with someone who was trying to get a U.S. citizenship based on fleeing from another country. And the experience I had with the client was so impactful to me because I saw that I really had a hand in changing this person's life. Wow. You know, how powerful is that, that as a law student, you could potentially save this person. It was a lot of power. And I had a desire to pursue immigration law, but I also was very much interested in family law and really enjoyed that aspect of it. And I ended up applying for a clerkship with a judge after law school. And the judge that I clerked with was the coordinating judge for the family law division. So that's how I became interested and involved in family law. But it started with that clinical experience. Judge Krauser. Yes. I've known Judge Krauser forever. I had rumbles with her when she was in the county attorney's office and rumbles with her on the bench. We always got along okay. And I I knew her husband from the Court of Special Appeals and stuff, Mm -hmm. but she would be a feisty person who could teach you a lot, I bet. Absolutely. And that's where I feel like my legal career launched. I was able to sit in the courtroom with her and like you said, learn what to do, what not to do (laughs) from attorneys in the, in the courtroom and also observing her and other judges. And that's an experience I would highly recommend for any law student. The clerkship really, it put all the pieces together that you learn in law school from you know how you file a case, where you physically go to file the case, networking with people, getting connected with the courtroom courthouse staff. 
and fully understanding the process from start to finish. So it's, it's helped me tremendously as a lawyer as well to be able to explain to my client, look, this is the real process. It's not just me listening to you and drafting a motion and filing it. Once it gets filed, here are all of the things it has to do before it gets in front of the judge. And then even if it's in front of the judge, look, there are probably... 10, 20 plus cases ahead of you, literally sitting on the desk. So I, from that experience, I'm able to paint a very clear picture, as clear as I can sure. for my clients. So I highly recommend that. I mean, that's one of the problems of the disconnect. There's a great intellectual exercise in law school, but it absolutely is detached from the reality of being a lawyer and, you know, working for a law firm or clerking for a judge. It's the only way you can get any kind of reasonable grounding that will help you going forward. And you can get that on the job once you're a lawyer, but you pay a lot of prices for that, I think. Yes, I agree with you. So did you, when you completed the clerkship, get into a firm where you were doing family law or what was the kind of the course you took? Yes. And because most of the attorneys that were filing motions and being heard by Judge Krauser were family law attorneys, I, again, connected with some attorneys and was offered a position at a law firm handling family law matters. So it was, it's everything is linked. There was a reason I was there. I met the right people and I followed the, the journey, continued with that. So you now are with a firm in what I think of as Fulton, but I guess is also Maple Lawn. And I will, Lewicki, O'Connor, Hunt, and Miser. Am I yes, correct? You're correct. If I want to locate them on the web, is there any particular web address that one would hypothetically use? Yes, www.lohmlaw.com. Gotcha. And you're in, for those of us who are Howard Countyans, you're in Fulton, which has the development Maple Lawn in it. And I gather you're somewhere in the heart of Maple Lawn. Yes, we're right on Maple Lawn Boulevard, directly across the street from Galliano's. Okay, I see that helps. Neighborhood. <laughs> that helps. That helps. So how long have you all been in Maple Lawn? Since January of 2019. Okay, so we had an office in Calverton slash Beltsville for a long time, and we decided to move, and we very much flirted with Maple Lawn, and then, and this is a little before you all, and then sort of economic disaster befell the real estate market, and it kind of depressed the play. I mean, it's booming and doing wonderfully now. So in retrospect, it might not have been bad. You know, for us, Laurel has been a dream because there's lots of sort of, you know, I, I had this experience in Howard County and living in Montgomery County that people in those counties, you know, one third of their neighbors were lawyers. And so there was not a disenfranchised, you know, you come to Laurel and people don't live next door to lawyers and they really need access to legal community. And I do find that in our little world, South Laurel is sort of our turf. There's another firm that sort of has North Laurel and we're friends with them and we do exchange cases and stuff. But I think, you know, Maple Lawn is kind of untrammeled ground. So you all must have a pretty good area there with which to get clients. We do. And my colleague, Verena Miser and I both live in Maple Lawn. And so we- You walk to work. Yes, well, oh. I try, I try, I try. Okay, okay. <laughs> One day I'll do it more consistently, but Verena and I, we both, I wouldn't want to say it was a condition, but we certainly, we wanted to be in the neighborhood and it's such a, a large neighborhood and we've got the commercial district as well that we feel like we could very easily service the community based on all of the different practice areas that our law firm provides. So. Do you have a sense of where your claims typically or your clients typically originate? 
So it depends for me personally, as a family law attorney handling divorce and custody and adoption matters, most of my referrals are by word of mouth and they're from, you know, clients, prior clients, friends, family, people who I used to work with. For my colleagues, it varies because they, you know, with estate planning, for instance, a lot of those referrals, while they're, they're also by word of mouth, they're from financial advisors as well. And for some of my other partners, a lot of the SEO, the digital marketing. Works Search engine them. optimization for the yeah. uninitiated. Yes, absolutely. So we're finding, it's quite interesting with, depending on the practice area, our referral sources are sometimes quite different. So you have sort of a, a swath of stuff that you do. What else does your firm do that you don't? So I have a partner, Megan O'Connor, that handles a lot of civil litigation, fiduciary litigation, state litigation, also issues with schools in terms of IEPs or 504 plans. Sure. And guardianship matters. My partner, Verena Miser, handles estate planning, specializes in trusts and disability trusts. And then my colleague, Stephen Lewicki, handles corporate law, employment law, and litigation associated with that, some civil litigation as well. You have a diverse array of sort of interwoven areas of the law, though. I could see how one could derive you know, referrals from somebody else in your firm who's working on an estate plan that ultimately requires you know, domestic involvement and that sort of thing. Absolutely. And with family law, we do have a lot of overlap with other practice areas. And so I've had cases where I've had to pull Steve in for a corporate matter, if a client owns a business or the opposing party, or if we've got a divorce with a client with a robust estate plan or trust, and we're trying to make sense of things. And then at the tail end, we know we need to have that redrafted. It's great to have this team of people in-house. I don't have to go outside of the firm very often because we cover so many different practice areas. So essentially my practice has always been sort of, I represented the great grandmother back in the late eighties kind of thing. And then I represented the daughter in the nineties. And then now I'm representing people's grandchildren, great-grandchildren. And I will say there's always a quest to find domestic relations lawyers for me, and not merely ones who are willing to take cases, but ones who are sensitively responsive to the needs of clients. And so a friend of the show, longtime friend of mine who was on last week, Cece Page did domestic work forever, but then now she's, you know, kind of just the mediation ADR guru training everybody. And she's good friends with Jolie Weinberg and her firm, and we've had Jolie on before, and she's sort of moved on. I mean, I think there's a threshold when I don't want to say it takes its toll on you, but it's it's difficult work sometimes emotionally. And I think for both of them that they kind of have moved on. And I'm grateful to make your acquaintance because I truly, both my law partner and I are always looking for lawyers who do domestic stuff because it isn't always that easy to find it. And I presume since you clerked in Prince George's County, that if I have clients to send you in hypothetical Prince George's County cases, you would be willing to go there. Absolutely. I consider that my home court. Oh, yeah. Just because I, you know, I clerk there. And although a lot of the judges that I clerked with, they're no longer there, they're retired. I still feel like that's where my, you know, my legal career launched. And I feel very comfortable there. Whereas a lot of attorneys, not so much. <laughs> you know, it's my turf because, you know, my, I think that was my second trial ever was there. And I've tried more cases there than anywhere. I've always had an office in Prince George's County. 
I used to be scared of the judges there, you know, because they were the cranky older ones who, you know, if you were a minute late, kind of things, and, you know, and then I kind of, through the years, you get to know them and they're really not as cranky as you imagine. Right. And, and I will say that there was kind of a generation of old school cranky judges and then there was a nicer generation. And I'm thinking, and, and no offense to anybody, but like, I like Steve Platt. He was a nice guy from, the, I tried his first civil trial, you know, first civil jury trial. And he's always been a good guy. And Phil Nichols, there's a lot of people who, you know, and now there's this generation of judges who like, some of whom worked for me previously as, as law clerks or associates. And it's just so bizarre because A, I find that they are intellectually far more rigorous and fit than I am, which I'm grateful for. It was good when they were associate attorneys, just, you know, but it's like I'm, Sharon Kelsey is a good friend, has been on the show a bunch of times. I love Sharon and I think she's a, great as a judge. And it's just a fun process about being a lawyer that you really, when you're a lawyer, I guess it's a job, but I also feel like it's a career. You know, you've seen the cycle where you came in, worked for Sherry Krauser, and she retires. And it's like, holy crap, she's retired. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And then you see a new group of people coming in, and, you know, you reach a point where you probably know a good deal more than they do about your area of the law, and you kind of have to train them. Do you find that you have occasion to do that? I do on occasion. However, a lot of my cases settle, Bob. That's the okay. great thing about family law is that, well, at least with my clientele, most people are coming in trying to seek a resolution and the court really is the last resort. It's seldom that I have clients that are in it to just get it to the judge and let the judge decide. So I'm finding more and more with family law cases that settling and the client having some control over the outcome is the better way to proceed. My clients are seeing it that way as well. Now, do you, is that through ADR or is that through court sponsored things? Or what's the typical mechanism for getting a domestic case settled? Typically, if there is an attorney on the other side, we always say if there were two reasonable attorneys on, you know, yeah, good luck <laughs> on each <that>. side, <laughs> we should be able to work it out. But for most of my cases with attorneys, we are able to work it out. And sometimes it does take the step of mediation. So if a case has been filed and we're ordered to attend mediation, perhaps through CC Pays, as you mentioned, she's great with getting the parties there. One of the other things that us old timers are complaining about is with COVID that, you know, going to Upper Marlboro and seeing the people who are now lawyers who are former law clerks in your era or seeing the judges who were new appointees before COVID and now have been there. I don't have that experience anymore and I miss it tremendously. And I wonder if it's had that effect on you. I miss it as well. And especially with the suspension of a lot of the bar association function, oh, yeah. you know, we're starting to get those back in play and some people are feeling more comfortable than others to attend, but there is a disconnect. We feel like we've missed out. It's, it's interesting getting back out there and I'm looking forward to things really reopening up. I'm not sure where we stand right now with COVID and I'm hoping that there won't be a regression. I'm hoping that we'll be able to continue to open and fully open, but I've had a recent case that I was hoping would be in person and it's remote. So we're, I'm still getting those notices for remote hearings. I'm, How do you feel about them? How effective are remote hearings as opposed to in-person hearings? I think they're more challenging when you have to add the responsibility of the technological aspect of it. Sure. Especially with exhibits and having 
you know, it used to be like you printed out your exhibits and you brought them to the courtroom and you got them marked, change them up, but you got them all there. And with everything pre-marked and have it submitted in it well in advance of the trial, while on the one hand, it helps you organize, there's a lot of moving parts if you have to redo, renumber, and then keep track of everything, and then opposing counsel renumbering, and you're referencing those exhibits. So there's some technical issues also with internet. And what if, you know, your client's remote, you're here, and you're trying to, you know, keep everything together while dealing with the, you know, technology issues. It can be a bit more overwhelming than when you're in person and you can now, so you can touch your client, but they're right there physically. <laughs> and you've got your documents there and you've got the judge. You can, you know, it's a different process. Certainly we're getting used to it, but my preference is always to be in the courtroom. I mean, I think that there's some benefits in comparatively minor things, doing them on Zoom. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it's like, I wouldn't want to, I mean, I'm basically a personal injury trial lawyer. I would not want to be trying a personal injury case okay. and not be able to examine you know, the other side or my client and impart anything to a jury. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. On the other hand, it's great for uncontested divorces. Sure. You know, used to be we would go to the courthouse and we would be there for two, three hours, sometimes longer, just waiting for our 10 minute uncontested hearing. Client would have to pay for my time for all of that. Now it's very efficient and cost effective for a client because they just pop on from their home for their office and we do the hearing and it's done, no travel time. So there are definitely some pros for, for clients and also for efficiency purposes. So what do you like best about your work? I guess it goes back to my days at the legal clinic. It's the relationship that I develop with the client. And I really, especially for my divorce cases, I appreciate the client that comes in and is saying at the bottom of a pit, I, I hate to say, but with the divorce or custody issue, it's one of the most trying, traumatic, emotional times of someone's life. And I am a very hopeful person. And I feel like I'm in the, the legal process, although I'm not a therapist, I enjoy working with people to help them gain their confidence to come out from that pit to a place where we've settled their case perhaps, or we've had a trial with an outcome, and now they're moving forward. It's not for everybody. It can be very draining emotionally to you know, hear the client's trauma and then have to absorb that along with all of the other client's traumas and also give them legal advice and help them along the way. But for me, I really enjoy that process. And it's part of every family law case. Some attorneys I've learned are more empathetic than others, but it is a skill that I feel is necessary and that I feel that I have to help my clients along with the process with the legal you, expertise as well. Do you think that skill was innate to you? Do you think it was learned? Do you think it was a combination? Definitely a combination. Okay. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, was it something that you kind of feel like you exhibited but didn't appreciate before you ever went to law school or, I mean, domestic relations lawyers are puzzling to me because they do deal with people who are in such difficult places sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I really admire, you know, I admire CC, I admire you, I admire anybody who does that and tries to get fair outcomes 
you know, I want to hug them, you know what I mean? But I don't know that I'm capable right. of such, of, I don't know that I'm composed in that manner, I guess. I would say it's definitely not for everybody. And there are divorce attorneys that, that handle things differently, that don't deal with the emotional aspect of it. And when I say deal with it, it's we're providing counsel, legal counsel. We're making it clear we're not therapists, we're not social workers, we're not sure. trained for this. But at the same time, providing a space for people to be human and tell their story while we're guiding them through the legal process. And so for my personality, I absolutely enjoy that. I, I, I not enjoy, but I, I appreciate it. I don't wanna say I'm like holding someone's hand, but I understand how to get from down here to up here. And it's a process that I feel I excel in that not all attorneys do. And I do, you know, I do, like you said, it's part of it is the way that I, you know, the way that I am, my personality, but then you do learn as a lawyer how to hone in on those skills. So for instance, you don't have a client who's telling their life story and you're not getting any legal work done. Certainly there is a, a skill that needs to be developed along the way. Sounds like empathy is a major quality. It is, absolutely. So what do you aspire going forward for you in your legal career? That's an interesting question because we, so we, my partners and I launched our law firm in January of 2019. And so this is all very new to me that I'm a partner at my own law firm and we are in control of how, you know, the clients that we accept, that we work with and the types of cases that we take. And so I'm enjoying this. I haven't really plan to leave this part of my legal career quite yet because I'm just getting into it. Yes. <laughs> no judge? No judge. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's, again, it, 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 yeah. it's one of the things I discuss periodically with mm -hmm. the judges we have on, because some people, you know, like we've had Michelle Houghton on a bunch of times and oh, I love yeah. Michelle. I think mm -hmm. she's a great judge. I think she's brilliant. I just think yes. she's a wonderful person, but I couldn't do what she does. Mm -hmm. And I've argued cases in front of her where she's written the opinion mm -hmm. and her opinions are always make me sound when she sides with me always make me sound vastly more intelligent than I really <laughs> I think that that's a unique skill set also. Oh, absolutely. You know, absolutely. and you have to have a temperament that can deal with that. I think right. I would get mad at the litigants and mad at the lawyers because, you know, <laughs> they waste so much time in my, to my perception, yeah. you know. Mm -hmm. I hear you. Well, yeah, um, I, I think right now my goal is just to grow, to grow this law firm. And that's where I'm living right now in that goal that... <laughs> So is the bulk of your work in Howard County or is it dispersed Howard, PG, Anne Arundel, Montgomery, or how is it set up? It's in Howard and PG and Montgomery. And okay. then I do a little bit in DC. And fortunately for me, my DC cases have been remote. So I'm not traveling. Did you ever have to go to the Superior Court with any regularity? Yes, I did at a time. What an interesting place that is. <laughs> yes, especially with the family law docket, because there are a lot of pro se. Parties. Oh, I didn't. I, yeah. Yes. I, mean, it's, yeah. I just was trying civil cases and I've had some of my biggest verdicts there, but it can be a maddening place to work. Yes, I agree. <laughs> it's one thing I will say about your colleagues at the Circuit Court for Prince George's County. It has always, and again, maybe they're kind to me because I've been around, but it's always seemed sort of more homey and people kind of trying to help me than some court systems. I almost feel like they're trying to actively sabotage my success. Yeah. <laughs>
Well, I regret to say that we have run out of time, but I very much enjoyed speaking with you, and I hope that we could induce you to come back sometime and talk about the adventure of your legal life in the future. I would absolutely love that, and I appreciate this opportunity, Bob. Thank you very much, Eleanor. This has been Everyday Law. I'm your host, Bob Clark. Farewell. Connect with us. We are Dragon Digital Radio.